Hello, this is Imogen at Body Learning. Today my guest is Mio Morales and we're going to discuss his experience and approach to teaching the principles of the Alexander Technique online. In 1972 at Tufts University, Mio Morales was introduced to F.M. Alexander's work by Dr. Frank Pierce Jones. That same year at Tufts, he also met Marjorie Brastow when she visited Dr. Jones' class while in Boston giving a workshop. After apprenticing with Marjorie Barstow for many years, Mio went on to assist her at her annual summer workshops in Lincoln, Nebraska. He was on staff at the Barstow Summer Institute for Alexander Studies at Doane College from 1999 to 2013. He has been a guest teacher at Alexander Technique training programs in the US and in Europe, as well as giving workshops in the US, Canada, Asia and South America. In 2015, Mio was a continuous learning presenter at the 10th International Alexander Technique Congress in Limerick, Ireland. And that is where I first met him as I was a student in one of his continuous learning classes. So, Mio, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Imogen, how are you? I'm good. I'm very pleased to have you here. So, I'm really interested to talk to you today um, about your approach to teaching the Alexander Technique and that you're not only teaching online, you're also teaching online in groups. But to start off, we'll start off with a nice, easy question. What is the Alexander Technique? What is your definition of the technique? Well, I think that what Alexander discovered was a way that anyone can use the sort of the power of their conscious mind. That's the part of their mind that they can actually control. Part of your mind that decides to do things. The part of your mind that can remember what you did yesterday. And also the part of your mind that can direct your attention to pay attention to whatever you choose to pay attention to. And Alexander, through years of experimentation with his own thinking and using his own body as a kind of laboratory, was able to find certain ways of using his conscious mind to assist the functioning of his total self. I mean, most of the things that happen that go on in your body are done not by your conscious thinking mind. We can only keep track of a certain number of things at a time. But there's this vast intelligence that is your body and mind working together. And Alexander basically learned how to harness the power of his conscious mind to assist in the functioning of his whole self. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> um, so as far as when you're teaching the technique, do you distinguish between what you teach online and what you teach in person with a student in front of you in person? Do you not, not that much. I mean, obviously, when you're teaching online, you don't have physical access to their bodies. In other words, you can't use your hands, obviously, online mm -hmm. when you're teaching someone. But... Uh, the interesting thing is my work, pretty much from the beginning, when I first started studying, I was always fascinated by the fact that Alexander did all of this just by experimenting with his own thinking. He didn't have anyone to put hands on him, and he was able to discover these principles and apply them to himself 
without the benefit of hands-on work. Right. And I've been taking your online class for teachers and I can kind of see that very clearly. So I've been taking your class for a few weeks, very impressed with your approach in general and what you've been able to achieve through this online medium. So I'm wondering if you could give us a bit of background. How did you start doing this sort of distance learning approach? Um, well, actually, I started... It was... <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, my first experience teaching from a distance had nothing to do with actually teaching the Alexander Technique. Oh. I actually, in the early 80s, around 1984, I was, I'm a composer and a musician, and I was out of work at the time. So I kind of looked through the paper, and the first job that I found was telephone soliciting. Okay. <laughs> So I went to uh, a company, everybody knows, Time Life. Mm -hmm. There was a, a branch of their company called Time Life Libraries. And in Time Life Libraries, you sold Time Life Library books over the telephone. And I had been an actor in college, so I thought, well, I, you know, I can use my voice. And Of course, it's not just using your voice. It's a whole different <laughs> kettle of fish. That's very challenging because most people are very resistant to hearing a, a pitch on the telephone. But anyway, what was interesting to me is I, was, I had been studying the Alexander Technique maybe seven or eight years by then. And I was really interested in, because I wasn't at first making any sales, I decided, well, let's do a little experiment. Let me apply my Alexander Technique while I'm sitting here on the telephone and just make believe that it was a performance as an actor and that I wanted to be expressive as an actor. And of course, the interesting thing was that I found that when I was paying attention to what I was doing my, with myself, my sales went through the roof. Mm. That somehow I was able to communicate with people um, much better when I was paying attention to myself. And of course, I was reading a script, so it wasn't like I was improvising some kind of way of selling them. It was just and when I paid attention to ease in my body, that I was able to be much more convincing as a salesperson. So that's where it started. So and that's then, interesting because that was purely on the phone too. There was no visual. That's right. right? Yeah. And, and I just, I mean, it's something that we all know that the human voice is very expressive. And it also has a tremendous amount of communicative power. And the nature of your feelings in the moment are expressed through your voice. And I guess that's when I realized that, hmm, I can communicate with just my voice, with just people hearing what I was saying. And then a few years later, I was in teaching in Nebraska at one of Marge's workshops, and there were a couple of students who lived in Canada. And we got along really well, and they were interested in my um, teaching them. And since... I couldn't go to, uh, to Canada as easily as I could go on the telephone and speak to them. I said, well, why don't we try some telephone lessons? Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because I was able to actually convey Alexander's ideas over the telephone, not just the words, but the quality of my speaking. And also, if I had them speaking... If I was able to hear their voices or if I was able to, if they were tapping, for example, on a table, hmm. I could get a sense of what they were doing with their thinking based on the sound of their voice and the quality of their rhythm while they were tapping. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know it went so far back. So, yeah. 
go ahead. Yeah, so it was when Skype came along, it was a natural thing to think, well, what happens if I can actually see a person? Can I actually get a sense of what they're doing with their use? Because that's really what you're doing is that you're giving people suggestions about what they might do with their thinking. And then you have to be able to, in some way, as a teacher, assess the effect that those ideas are having on them in the moment. So I started doing some Skype lessons. And Skype lessons were, of course, even more interesting because when you can see somebody moving, of course, you get a much more information about the quality of your thinking. So that was Skype. And then I didn't do very much of that. I mean, I was always, for a long time, I was a kind of sort of part-time Alexander teacher because I made my living as a composer and as a musician, and it was a a way of making money that I really enjoyed. So I never really thought about Alexander as a source of income, but I I loved it so much, and it was affecting me in such a positive way that I, I kept doing it through the years. And, of course, I kept going out to Marge's workshops. And then after Marge passed away, um, I started working at the Barstow Institute every summer. So I was always doing some teaching, but mostly I was playing music. But um, about in 2013, I had a chance to go teach in Japan. And I hadn't been teaching very much up to that point, I mean, in the, the years previous to that. And when I went to Japan, I just absolutely loved the experience of teaching again. Mm-hmm. And... I made a lot of really good friends in Japan, and one of the students in particular, uh, Akiko Kodate, was really interested in studying with me, and she started a Facebook group uh, called the Mio Japan Noticing Group, (laughs) (laughs) and so she got a lot of people together that were interested in talking, you know, writing to me, and the correspondence kept going, and eventually... I said, well, why don't we start doing some lessons online? So she said, great. So I started teaching online, first with just a couple of students. And now after about two and a half years, I have have 10 students, 10 regular students that are kind of training to learn how to teach the Alexander Technique, but more specifically, how to teach the Alexander Technique over the Internet. Interesting. Um, So how do you prepare or what do you have to have in place um, so in terms of the technology or specific equipment or perhaps even the space you're using for for both yourself and the students who are participating in the class? Well, it's really pretty simple. The technology has gotten so user-friendly right. over the past years that it's very easy. I use a program called Zoom which is a online conferencing system. Um, they have a free version, which works perfectly well. I think you're limited to like 45 minutes of, um, online at a time. But the paid version is like $10 a month, I think, is what I pay for it. And it's a great program. Your students, of course, have to have that program, which is free. Um, they need to have a, a computer with a webcam. Um, most computer, I mean, all computers have microphones built in. So there's not a lot of technical requirements. Right. It's very easy to set up. And then basically all you do is you send email invitations to the people, to your students, and then they get a link which they can click on in order to hook up with that particular Zoom session. And, yeah, it's great. You can record yeah. the sessions so that you have a record of them and 
yeah, it's very easy to do. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so, um, what, how do you? I was going to ask you how you went about organizing your classes, um, but it sounds like it sort of came to you uh, in terms of these Japanese students, yes. almost, um, mm -hmm. rather than you going out and promoting a class and attracting people to it. Um, uh, do you always have, um, is it a class that everybody has joined all at once or can people drop in or is it a kind of a series for a certain number of weeks? Um, like is everyone starting together and finishing together or right. how does that work? <laughs> well, in, in Japan, I actually have two classes. I have one class, which originally I was distinguishing from the other class as a training class. And this is a group of uh, six, six students who come twice a week, um, two hours a class. So they have four hours of, of teaching, of training a week. So that's one class of six people. The other class I have has five people in it, and they come once a week. And I thought that, well, one class would be a training class and one class would be for people who just wanted to learn the Alexander Technique. But what I'm finding is that the once a week class are as interested in communicating these ideas with their friends and family if they don't want to do it professionally for money. So it's becoming it's become a training class too. But yeah, these are two groups of people that have started together and I assume will finish together. The training class I guess they've been together about a year and a half. So we're about a third of the way through our second year of training. Oh, interesting. And have you been to Japan since? Or is your, all your contact being online with these students um, since the first time you went? Well, I've been to Japan, I think, once since we started the, the training class. Um, but not everybody in the training class was at the workshops that I did there when I was there uh, two years ago. So most of these students have just known me by the online contact that we've had. Oh, interesting. So I was going to ask, do your students typically have prior experience with Alexander Technique or are they total beginners to the technique? Uh, half and half. Uh, some of the, a couple of the students were, are actually certified teachers in the mm -hmm. technique. Uh, and a couple of them were involved in other training programs for a period of time, up to as many as eight years. Mm. Um, and then I, the other, I think half are brand new students, people who have not, may have had a lesson or two, but not very much experience with Alexander, certainly not with Alexander technique as I've been teaching it. Right. And it does seem like your specific approach to teaching is sort of ideally suited to both group teaching and online work. Um, so we haven't got long, but could you maybe tell us a little bit um, about your approach? Um, I mean, how that works? Sure. Um, I look at it as an experiment. In the sense that what Alexander did was he f realized that he had a problem that he wanted to solve. He believed that he could solve it. So he decided that 
this is a problem I want to solve. Let me see if I can figure out a way to solve it. So he came up with some strategies with some ideas. And then using the mirrors and using his powers of observation, he would have an idea. He would look and see what the effect of it was. And that was how he basically developed the Alexander Technique. So he, it was an experimental process. And the more he experimented, the more he improved. And also the more he was able to find things that worked better and better in terms of helping him get rid of his problem, which, of course, was the discomfort and uh, disability that he had in the use of his voice. And so from my perspective, the most important thing to do is to teach your students how to experiment with themselves and how to get objective information about the results of those experiments so that they can improve. Right. And it works very well, I can say, from experience. So um, I was going to ask, or actually I was going to share that I know that you set homeworks from your homework for your students because you set us homework. Um, but can you tell me or can you tell us about that and why you do that? Yeah, well, because you don't have you don't have the opportunity to really give information via your hands, you know, the, the contact, the kinesthetic information that's so much a part of most Alexander teaching, there has to be a way for people to, well, basically, you have to learn how to experiment with your own thinking and notice and become more and more sensitive to the effect that your thinking has on you, okay? So what I do is I've created a series of very simple activities, which you know very well. Mm -hmm. One of them is called the cycle. Mm -hmm. And basically what you do is, in a very simple set of conditions, you use what I... Oh, let me just... I guess I should say it this way. To anybody listening, if you look... If you're sitting, wherever you're sitting, listening to this podcast, you can notice that your body is a combination of places that feel where you feel tension and places where you feel a little bit easier, a little less tension. Okay, so if you bring your attention to where you feel tension in your body right now, you have a certain experience. Now, if, if you pay attention to the tension that you notice in your body, wherever it may be, and then you just slowly raise and lower your arms, like above your shoulders, so that your arms are going up and eventually they lengthen completely, and then you bring them down. So if you do that and pay attention to tension in your body, let's say I have tension in my stomach, I'm paying attention to the tension in my stomach, and I'm moving my arms up and down. Okay? So you, that's an experience that you just had. Now let's look at the flip side of that. Instead of the tension that you notice someplace in your body, see what happens if you pay attention to some place that's a little bit easier. Now, it doesn't have to be perfectly easy and relaxed, but relative to the tension you felt, say, in your stomach, is there any place in your body where you feel just a little bit easy, a little bit flexible, a little bit comfortable? Okay, so wherever that place in your body is, you're going to do another little experiment. I'm going to pay attention to the ease in my hips right now, and I'm just going to raise and lower my arms. So I'm doing the action of raising and lowering my arms, but I'm making the decision 
to pay attention to the ease this time in my hips. Okay, now I'm having an experience of what it feels like to move my arms in the same way I did in the first example, but this time I'm paying attention to the ease in my hips. Okay, and then what I do is, well, if you keep moving your arms up and down, if you're moving your arms, I want you to bring your attention back to where you felt tension and keep moving your arms. Okay, now notice where you have ease and let your arms keep moving up and down. Now pay attention to tension. Now pay attention to where you feel ease. Okay, that's the first experiment that I give to my new students and to people who have Alexander experience as well. And I think what they find out is that there's a big difference in the quality of the movement when they pay attention to where they feel ease as opposed to tension. So I have a series of experiments that are based on that idea. Of course, they get much more involved and um, more sophisticated, but it's all about paying attention to certain areas of your body or using different kinds of thinking and then seeing how it affects your use. And I give that as homework. It's very important um, for my online teaching for my students to on a consistent basis do the homework. They have to do the homework once in the morning and once later in the day. Now the homework itself only takes five minutes. It's not like you're sitting for hours experiment. <laughs> the thing that amazed me about my teaching in Japan was that, because I didn't know whether this was going to work, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> I mean, I knew it worked in person, but I had no idea. I mean, I wasn't sh absolutely sure that it would work uh, over a long period of time with people continue to improve and that's exactly what happened I mean every time my students came back to class there was a marked change in their the quality of the use of their whole body even from just doing these very simple experiments it's, it's very interesting and and quite powerful actually uh, from my own experience so um, so um, getting close to finishing up but do you have any um, uh, advice for other Alexander teachers who might be interested in exploring teaching online? Sure. I mean, <laughs> the bottom line of it is that, and this is something that Marjorie Barstow said to us when we were um, her students, is that you have to be the most important person in the lesson. Mm. The most important thing is for you to Im make an improvement in the quality of your own use. And then to keep an eye on what's happening to the quality of your use as you interact with the student. Because I think the bottom line of it is that we don't consciously change our bodies. Okay? What we do is we use the conscious part of our mind to access the kind of natural kinesthetic healing circuits <laughs> in our body. Your body has an amazing intelligence about keeping things in balance. And one of the most important balances that your body keeps track of is the balance of how energy flows in your body. And when you use excess tension, you disrupt that flow. You make your body more inefficient. You build up excess tension. And then the sad part about it is that even though this is an interference with your body's natural mechanism, you get used to it. Mm -hmm. Your habits begin to feel normal to you. In fact, they become completely normal to you so that you don't even realize that you're interfering unless your activity tells you, say, for example, you can't play as fast on the violin as you want to. 
or you lose your voice as Alexander did, or you feel tremendous pain. Without that pain, without that feedback, we think we're doing fine for the most part. So the whole thing as a teacher is that you want to make sure that your primary objective when you're teaching a student is that you are improving. Whatever you say, whatever you do, you have to do it within sort of the envelope of your own learning and your own improvement. And if you do that, you will be able to convey that skill to your students so that when they leave your lesson, they will be able to experiment on their own. And in between lessons, they will improve tremendously when they come back. And that's true whether you're teaching online or whether you're teaching private students using hands-on and other techniques or you're teaching a group of people online or live right no i think that's really important and very helpful for me to remember personally um so um before we finish up is there anything else you'd like to share or talk about um no i mean i'll i'm going to be teaching starting on october 12th uh, of this year I'm going to be teaching a series. It's actually, I call the work that, I'm, that I do the power of ease mm-hmm. uh, because ease is so much a, an important part of, of how I teach. And I'm going to be teaching a six-week course uh, starting on October 12th uh, on observation. And this is for Alexander Technique teachers? This is for Alexander Technique teachers or enthusiastic amateurs (laughs) okay for anybody who's really interested in exploring the possibilities of improving the quality of their use and yeah so that's basically what i'm going to be doing it's on it's actually it's part of a a five module training that i'm i'm starting to do it starts with observation because it all stems from self-observation and your ability to observe your students and seeing the relationship between your students experience and your own experience and how you can leverage what you know about ease and moving beautifully in a way that helps your students and the people that you come in contact with. And um, is there um, a link or something we can put next to the website for people to find out more about this or just your email address or something like that? <laughs> you, can, um, you can get more information about the class mm-hmm. if you go to uh, Alexander Learning Network, that's one word, mm-hmm. dot com slash ease, E-A-S-E. Okay, and we'll, we'll put that as a live link next to the podcast to make that easier for people um so thank you so much mio (laughs) um um, so my guest today has been uh mio morales an alexander technique teacher in oregon right where where in oregon are you i'm in corvallis oregon um so again we'll put a link um if you'd like to find out more about these classes and we'll also put a link to a site where you can find an alexander technique teacher anywhere in the world So thank you, Mio, for being on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure, Imogen.